Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. My personal opinion, they should have got rid of uh, Renteria. I, from day one, I couldn't stand him as a manager. And I really wish he would just get somebody else already. Well, that's what they're doing already. Welcome and welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rohde with you. Saturday Suckage. We're talking White Sox here. Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. We're broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And we discussed Tony La Russa earlier. We discussed A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora. And it seems to me that if you get a free look at Free sit-down with Tony LaRusso, and you get to look at the organizations he's been a part of, good and bad, failures he's been a part of, and find out if he's going to answer honestly. See if you can trust him if you're the GM. You're not obligated to hire him, and you can't really hire anybody who's been suspended for the season, and the season's not over. Then seems to be that's a good place to start. Let's see what our next guest thinks. Scott Merkin of MLB.com. He covers the White Sox. He joins us on the Alpamonte Ford hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Uh, We appreciate it. Your thoughts on not quite reaching for Connie Mack, but reaching for Tony La Russa. And maybe you're surprised, maybe you weren't, maybe your surprise wore off. What did you first think, and how has that evolved or changed, if it has? I think everything, you know, Monday and, you know, after the move with Ricky Renteria and Don Cooper was surprising. And then the, you know, the news about Tony LaRusso was surprising. But I think, you know, what you just said leading in makes sense. You know, Rick Hahn, among the many things he kind of laid out on that Monday was part of it that, you know, their hiring had been kind of an insular, insular process. And they wanted to get some outside opinions. They wanted to see you know, what the view of the organization was from outside the organization and the direction they're going. You know, let's, let's be honest, their window just opened this year, really, and they're hoping for it to be, you know, a six- or seven-year run. And, you know, it's probably, like you said, you know, that this is a guy who has, what, he's third all-time in victories. He has worked for Jerry Reinsdorf. He's very close to Jerry Reinsdorf. He knows the organization. You know, he won a division as a manager of the White Sox. He's won three World Series championships. I think he's won six pennants, if I remember right. So, you know, regardless of what you think about that he's 76 one way or the other, I I think it is a a good, you know, starting point, a good view to get. And, you know, even if you come out of that and say, okay, he's not going to be our next manager, but, man, he gave us a lot of 
you know, good things to think about as we go on in the process or just with the process of the team overall. Right. And I think that the other part to Merck and that people are forgetting is that it's not like Tony La Russa is being assigned to be the manager of the White Sox. He would be he would go through a interview process, presumably with Rick Hahn asking the majority of the questions. And if he doesn't answer them the way the White Sox need them to answer them, they would move on to the next guy because everybody thinks that since he's older and maybe he doesn't relate to modern day players and all that, which may be true. But if they, if he doesn't relate the way they need him to, I trust that Rick Hahn would say, you know what? I don't think so. We're moving on to the next. And my question to you is, do you agree? Don't you think that, that Rick Hahn would not just hire this guy because of supposed pressure from the top, that if he didn't hear what he wanted to hear, he would move on to the next guy. No, I think there's honest communication between the, you know, the three guys uh, kind of running baseball. And there's many others in there, but I mean, Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, and Jerry Reinsdorf. And I don't think Jerry Reinsdorf would voice someone on them if they really didn't feel this was the guy. You know, now Rick did say Monday, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me about that, you know, they were hoping the hire would be someone who, you know, they wouldn't have to change again, you know, during the course of this, what they hope is, you know, contending period. And I'm not sure if, you know, Tony LaRusso is going to want, if he were, if he were the candidate, were, was, you know, going to want to do it for four or five years at this point in his career, this point in his life. But yeah, I don't think there's anything that's a, a forced deal. I mean, I know there's all sorts of reports about how serious it is or isn't, how serious he is or isn't, but I think you just got to kind of let it take its course. I, I just would like to be in there for, you know, just the, the interviews I've had in my career for job interviews. How do you go about interviewing Tony LaRusso? You know, like, okay, you have a, Almost 2,800 wins in your careers. You won a three World Series, but there's a little bit of a managerial gap here from 2011. How do you how do you explain how do you explain that one? Can you talk about what you've been doing since that time? I mean, he's arguably one of the top managers in the history of the game, right? So you know, I, I think he kind of knows what he's doing. Right. How are you going to outsmart him too? It's like what do you do? runner second on third, one out. What do you do with your number five hitter at this spot, Tony? Go. Yeah, and then he can say, well, let me go back to game five of this World Series, and here's what I did, which we ended up winning. We ended up winning the championship on that one. So right. does, that, does that answer work for you? How's that go? Exactly. Spot on. We also get to ask about how come, what was going on with those phone calls to the bullpen in the World Series, and is Tyler Mott <laughs> up yet, or is he not? Are you going to go all Bevington and call for a reliever who's not there? You get to ask those questions. But actually, I find – Scott, you bring up that gap in the in the managing part of it. I find that real revealing. I, a great opportunity for Rick Hahn because you get a free look at a lot of organizations when you're dealing with Larusa. He was it was miserable in Arizona when he was in charge, and he right. Stewart and 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 then he goes to Boston, Correct. and there's yep. a World Series, and there's some cheating and endorsement of of Alex Cora, and then he goes to the Angels, and they bring in Joe Madden, and you have a look at other organizations by which you get to pick his brain over, and then you get to decide whether he's being honest with you about what part he played in that misery or what part he played in that success, in that success. and do you believe him or do you not? I think that's really important for Rick Hahn, somebody he's going to be working closely with. And, and, you know, just a, a feel for how, you know, I don't want to say it relates like he's, you know, 125 years old and doesn't, well, that would be really something if you were hiring managers 125 mm. years old. But 
you know, I mean, he's been, like you said, he's been very involved in baseball, even though he hasn't managed since winning the World Series with the Cardinals. But I think you can ask him all sorts of things about, you know, today's baseball, some of the changes in today's baseball. But, you know, I mean, I, I think ultimately you want to get a guy who you have confidence in. But, I mean, really, you watch the last – I had a chance to watch a little of both games last night. And it's great to have a manager who you have confidence in and you feel like can make good moves when the game's in the line. But, I mean, like always, it's really a player's league, isn't it? I mean, when the players perform – and I think Ozzie Guillen said this – good managers come from good players. And that's the – you know, maybe you can, you can finesse things here and there. Maybe you can win some games that you thought you weren't going to be able to by making some key moves here and there. But – Ultimately, it's, you know, the, the players who have to perform when you put them in the best situation to perform. Scott, what other names are out there, man? I mean, we've heard the, the, the big three. Obviously, Tony La Russa, the one, only one of, of concrete nature at this point. But then there's A.J. Hinch, there's Alex Cora. Who are we missing here? Who are going to be some of the other potential candidates? Have you, have you heard any other names? Yeah, to be honest, I haven't really heard Alex Cora's name mentioned that much in relation to the White Sox. I've heard A.J. Hinch quite a bit. Tony Larusa, obviously, there's already, you know, it's it's been, I've reported, and we've we, we've reported our Angels guy. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's been reported that they have permission by many sources to to talk to him about the job. You know, I think Sandy Almar would be an interesting candidate. Um, oh, yeah. You know, Hensley Mullins might be an interesting candidate. Joe Espada, Bruce Bochy, maybe even. You know, yeah. you know, Rick did talk about guys who have had recent October championship experience, and I think that would include, you know. Bruce Bochy in there, right? That would he would he would be in that list. He did say they were open minded. He said, you know, being a man being a past manager would be ideal, but he did say they'd be pretty much open minded. You know, remember back in I guess it would have been the off season of 03, right after Jerry Manuel was let go. You know, it looked like Cito Gaston was going to get that job, and then Ozzy yeah. Guillen had the interview with Kenny and and wowed them. And two years later, they won a World Series title. So not everything in this kind of process, I'm sure. When they made the move with Ricky, I'm sure they, you know, as most teams do, they probably had in mind, like, this is our number one candidate. This is, you know, or these are the couple guys that we really are pushing after. But, you know, things can change along in the process. So that's just a few names off the top of my head that I think would, you know, kind of fit what Rick was saying. But if you're looking for guys with past, you know, October managerial experience, I think, you know, Bochi, Hinch, and LaRusso would, would crop up to the top right away if, if you're not going to pursue Alex Cora. We're talking with Scott Merkin, MLB.com. He covers the White Sox. We're doing that right here on The Score, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The the lawyer in Rick Hahn said it wasn't about game three after he announced the firing of Ricky Renteria and Pitchy coached on Cooper, which was more shocking than anything, I believe. But it was a bigger message. And I think it was all about game three because that was the prism through which you looked at pitching decisions being made and subsequent ideas that what the front office decided were the right pitching decisions, weren't the right pitching decisions, or the front office wanted to make pitching decisions. They weren't, the dugout did not go along with it. What's, what's true about the way the front office and the dugout agreed or disagreed on pitching decisions? Well, I, I think game three is a tough one, though, because, excuse me, you know, Garrett Crochet was in there, and that was the plan set up before the game. And he was in there, and they were thinking, you know, he had done this, I, I believe, one time before. He was going to go two innings. And then, you know, unbeknownst to them, he comes up with, you know, a little bit of, of 
forearm discomfort. So, you know, this is a guy who's a, a hugely important part of the future just by the very small sample size you saw this year. So they pull him out and that, you know, it, it, I don't know if chaos ensues, but things don't line up as possible. And, you know, I know there was some critique of Ricky and Coop using Bummer so early, but man, I've seen, you know, Anderson used real early in games by the Rays. I see, I remember in 16, Cleveland using, you know, Andrew Miller all over the game. You got to use the guy you feel is the best at the key moment you need him, right? So, I mean, you, you can't play to save Bummer for the eighth inning if you're winning, if you don't think you can get to the eighth inning with a lead. I, I get that's not how you operate during the regular season, but this was, you know, winner take all with what, uh, three days off after that. So, you know, you, you go with the best you can. I, I think maybe it was more, a lot, if there was any kind of criticism along those lines, it probably was more that Cleveland series, you know, that Cleveland series really changed the season for the White Sox. You know, they lost all four and they lost three really heartbreaking games. And, you know, it cost them maybe the division title. You know, you have no idea how teams play if it's a different, you know, alignment in the standings as you go to the last weekend, but it certainly cost them home field. There's no question about that. And maybe that makes a difference in that series, you know, and I think, you know, Rodon coming in with the bases loaded in Cleveland when the guy, you know, hadn't pitched in a while and hadn't pitched in relief since I think the three times or four times he did it his rookie year, you know, that's kind of a stretch a little bit. But ultimately, again, I go back to the fact that, you know, San Diego did the same thing that the Sox did, I believe, in game three against the Cardinals and threw a shutout and advanced to the next round. So ultimately, yeah, you want to, you know, get the best alignment. You want to put the guys in the best situation you can. But, you know, I, I think it's, you know, you got to have the players to get it done, too. And, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to say that, okay, if you want to say that Ricky was at fault in Cleveland, Ricky was at fault in game three, well, then do you say he managed his butt off during August? Or do you say that they hit 54 home runs in August and they were just a dynamic force during August, you know? So here's, it's kinda, here, I guess. Here's what I say, Scott, is that getting get back to the Cleveland series and then game three. I believe Rick Hahn when he says that it didn't have anything to do with, with Game 3. And here's why. Because I think that Rick Hahn has to take some culpability, too. Because I believe, and I don't know this for a fact, but I would think that he signed off on that. And believe it or not, I would think he signed off on Carlos Rodon coming in in that Cleveland series during the regular season to be a relief pitcher. And I guess the weird part was Aaron Bummer coming in after that. But th- but they had to have signed off on that. And let's say they didn't. Let's say that Rick Hahn didn't like that, then he definitely would have told them, don't put Carlos Rodon in in the middle of Game 3 as he did against right. Oakland. And then Matt Foster comes in and starts walking everybody with the bases loaded. So I think Rick Hahn has to take, has to take some blame for that. I agree. I mean, I think it's an organizational thing, right? I mean, I think it always is unless you have, yeah, I, mean, I, I, you know, the Sox are not an organization that I've known to have, you know, GMs sending down lineups or GMs sending down this or that. But I know that, you know, they have conversations with Ricky throughout or, you know, other managers sure. throughout the year. That's and normal. they know what's going on. I don't think, you know, I, I mean, this is, these are, I'm just focusing on Rick and Kenny. And like I said, there's obviously many others in that front office that are, that are hands on there too, but it's not like these guys are gone for the game and then wake up the next morning and look at the reports and say, oh, geez, they used him here. You know, I mean, <laughs> right, right. they know what's going on too, you know, and I understand. But, you know, I mean, it, it, you can go back to what Rick said, that Rick said, Rick Hahn, I'm talking about, that, you know, these were discussions all along with Ricky, you know, yes. coming along the way. And maybe they talked, you know, at the beginning of the season and, and they laid out things like, you know, employers do for employees. I have the same thing. You guys have the same thing with your bosses and saying, okay, we like what you're doing here, but we need to see this and this different or this and this improve for this year 
because we feel like the contention window is open. And if it's not, you know, we may look in a different direction, maybe not in those exact terms. But, you know, there there's probably is validity to what Rick said about, you know, I don't think Rick was completely covering that, you know, game three happened and Cleveland happened and they threw their notes against the wall and said, how could this happen? We have to make a change. I don't think right. this is a knee-jerk reaction. I think this is something they probably discussed going back into, you know, this previous spring training back when there was spring training up through, you know, the second week of March and probably talked about, you know, this is, you know, I mean, hey, you know, things didn't work out great across the board in personnel. Edwin Encarnacion, who I heard nothing but tremendous things about as kind of a veteran presence in that clubhouse for the young hitters as a great leader. He did not hit this year. You know, I mean, he did not have a good year. Nomar Mazzara, who, you know, was a consistent 20 home run guy, hit one home run and I think six doubles all season out of right field. You know, Gio Gonzalez did not have a, a great season as a guy who they were looking at as a back end of the rotation guy, which would have helped them, you know, in game three if they didn't have full confidence at this point in their young hurlers like Dane Dunning and Dylan Season. You know, you can't even use Ronaldo Lopez because he wasn't even on that roster. So, you know, I think there's there's looks all around to be to be gained, but I think, you know, ultimately I, I believe what Rick said. And, yeah, maybe it was influenced by game three. Maybe it was influenced by the Cleveland series and, and you know, the Cubs series. But, you know, I, I think this is probably stuff they've discussed for quite a while. Scott, we appreciate your time, especially under the circumstances. We want to offer condolences on the passing of your father. It's always tough to go through that. Um, and I, I appreciate I, it. He was a uh, – He's a phenomenal person. Great man. He's going to be uh, very much missed, but I appreciate your comment. Yeah, and uh, yeah, same for me. It looked like, and I am, I'm always heartened to see that it looked like he he lived a nice long life, and he's got uh, three wonderful. So I saw the picture that you put up on Instagram yesterday, and it was beautiful, man. So yeah, condolences. Yeah, I mean, 91 years and uh, 54 years, 55 almost with the woman he loved. That's you know, oh, sign me up for awesome. that. That's, that's not a bad run, right? <laughs> Amen, man. Amen. Yeah. Well, he didn't get cheated, so our best to you and Randy. And Thank um, you. I appreciate it, guys. I really do. And be well. You Thanks it, for your time, Scott. All right. Scott Merkin from MLB.com covers the White Sox. That was that. Um, I had something that I wanted to bring to the program. We have uh, Joe Madden's interview with Inside the Clubhouse coming up in the second half of this hour. But, Mark, there's there's something that came up with a – I just love this quote from a receiver, and it sort of ties in with an anniversary that was a football anniversary that was yesterday. So we'll get to that after we take a break. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Welcome in, welcome back. Saturday suckage. I I love this quote from DeAndre Hopkins, a Cardinals receiver now. He was yeah. re-watching his one-handed catches, and this quote was, Sometimes I awe myself. I'm not going <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and that's great. That's like Project Runway when they did the cutaway and they show everybody's runway collection. It's I'm in awe of myself. That's what, and I'm thinking of that with DeAndre Hopkins. Sometimes I awe myself. And then it, it turns out yesterday was the 14th anniversary of this. The Bears are who we thought they were. Yeah, the man. The Bears are who we thought they were. That's why we took the damn field. You want to crown their ass? Crown them. And that was At it. At 8 o'clock. 
That was it. It's uh, that was everything, man. It was Erlacher. It was Hester. It was Dennis Green. It was horrible Arizona Cardinals. Uh, one of the greatest regular season games in Bears history. It was Rex Grossman continuing to turn the ball over until he realized that Brian Erlacher was better than both the Cardinals and the and Rex Grossman. It was unbelievable what he was doing. And and the Mike Brown touchdown and the Devin Hester return and yeah. it was that was the 14th yesterday was the 14th anniversary of that and the sound lives on forever and it's just it, it, it's a staggering what what Erlacher did, what that team did, what what Rex Grossman tried to do, and it's twenty to nothing, and then twenty three to three, and then it began. And had it not been for some odd coverages by Daniel Manning against Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl, and maybe a lack of Mike Brown and Tommy Harris, the Bears would have been crowned. They were almost crowned. Right. Now, right. If Everybody. you want to crown them, then crown their Oh, they almost got crowned. But they man. are who we thought they were. And I, rest in peace, my man, but they almost got crowned. Yeah, you know what? It wasn't just that. It wasn't just Danielle Manning. Um, Peyton Manning has looked off a lot of safeties. Kids yeah. are veterans. And I'm just going I, for the, I, the low-hanging fruit on the Daniel I, Manning. Hey, that's fine. That's, that's, I'm all for that. I, I also... I. I Daniel Manning is sort of the Steve Bartman of that game, where yeah. it gets it gets hidden that Alex Gonzalez of that game to me, right. yes, is the refusal of whether it's Ron Ron Turner, why, why you ever played um, Cedric, Cedric Benson, Benson, why you got away from running the ball, period, why you didn't keep it because why didn't you keep running it because Thomas Jones was not going to be tackled by that defense. He just wasn't. And Benson got injured in that Super Bowl, didn't he? Right, first carry. Yeah. And yeah. and but why go there at all? You 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 right. the idea of what's working and they didn't stay with what's working, they didn't stay with the player who was working. That really that always bothered me and I give Peyton Manning and the Colts great uh, a lot of credit because it took a lot of a lot of patience. Part of the the Tampa 2 defense is all about frustrating the offense until it gets so worn out. It just says, we're going to give this a shot. And that's when you make your mistake. And the bears offense was, it should have been about running. It should have about running the ball. I mean, they weren't going to touch him. Right well, the, the, the only you're right, because that's what they did best or could do best. However, I'm, I'm guessing the thinking that goes into that is going to go up against Peyton Manning. So while it's, it sounds nice to own the, Football, Peyton Manning is going to put points on the board, so you got to somehow match that and put six points on the board every chance you get. So, that, I think maybe that's what went into the thinking. If we're going to relitigate that particular that particular Super Bowl right now, um, you know, just with the because that that's you know Peyton Manning peak form, you know, downfield passes, get the ball in, as as we saw. So I think you had to figure out a way to match that. Now, they didn't have the personnel to do it, that's for sure, with Sexy Rexy as your quarterback. I Right, and, and I, but, but early on, I'm just thinking that you're, you're being able to – you play the long game, you're going to frustrate him, we're going to run the ball, we're going to do it successfully, and we're going we're gonna to find them – find a way to have them make the mistake. That was it. 
And to answer the texture here, who said, wasn't that when I said it was the Mike Brown return, short return, wasn't that Peanut Tillman? And we're both right. Because they both returned <laughs> touchdowns. Both had the, the returns. Tillman's was a lot longer. Mike Brown just got in there after the sack. And, and, that, and then Devin Hester, he was ridiculous. So two fumble recoveries for touchdowns. But I, I just thought that the, Peyton Manning was was your best chance was to frustrate him. Maybe you were never going to do that. But I thought you keep him off the field, you run the ball, and they were having trouble tackling Thomas Jones. They just never, I just never understood that, never agreed with it. And then Rex does what Rex does. He's he's going to put the ball up there, and there you go, make a hero out of somebody. So that's what happened. Um, we need to take a break. We need to take okay. a break. We'll come back and... Uh, and we will have a, uh, we'll walk you up to the Joe Madden interview on Inside the Clubhouse. It was Great. done earlier today. We talked about the Angels and Tony LaRussa, potential Sox manager, who's working for the Angels. So we'll uh, we'll lead you into that. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. This is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio, 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. All right, we're going to say goodbye, me and Mark, and um, we'll bring you the Joe Madden interview from inside the clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel, and let me put a list together rating candy bars. I want to hear, can you bring the the 11 members of the top 10 with you next week, Mark? When we Yeah, meet? man. Yep, let me put that. a list together. That's the podcast of record. And, and it's a podcast of, of combative candy bar conversation. So we'll look forward <laughs> we to that. We go deep, bro. Thank everyone who uh, listened, texted, the one person who called. And uh, after the Joe Madden interview, we'll take you to that now. And Zach Zabman will be next at 2 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Good morning, guys, uh, and I'll meet you tonight at Steak 48 for a nice steak dinner. Let's do that. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Joe, uh, getting getting through the COVID year of 2020 and mm-hmm. uh, the bubble that was created for baseball, first of all, I'm, uh, I'm shocked that more people aren't uh, giving Major League Baseball and the people in it and the teams more credit for being able to get through this and uh, the very low number of cases that were positive and people able to, to get through with this. Uh, as far as your team and your situation, what were the biggest challenges? Well, you're right. I mean, I, I don't think uh, the MLB and the commissioner's office has gotten nearly enough credit for this. Uh, we had some illnesses before guys got there, but once they got there, um, everything kind of settled in. Um, I think there's a lot of self-discipline uh, regarding baseball players and, and how they uh, get into routine. And so the difficult part, I guess, was adjusting the routine. Um, we had to spit every other day, uh, which was better than having something stuck up your nose, obviously. So the the method they chose uh, made it more amenable to everybody. Uh, the distancing component, our clubhouse, for instance, I was in one of the suites down by our dugout. My coaches were lined up by the cross, and then the players had these suites up, up in the second deck. Uh, each player had a suite um, so that they were able to distance themselves that way. 
And then, of course, that utilized the clubhouse to get dressed. So that was all Billy Epler. Billy came up with that idea. So it permitted us to um, play along with the uh, rules in place, um, the procedures, protocols uh, we got used to. They, they were annoying because then all you started doing is holding your spit before you got to the ballpark and then spit it up and go in because sometimes if you got that dry mouth, it takes forever. So it's all about getting into a new routine. And, um, and once we established that, honestly, not so bad. Joe, have um, have really valued all the baseball conversation through the years. Love how curious and passionate your baseball mind is. And I'm wondering in this weird little tiny sample size of a season with a brand new club, what did you learn? What what did you add to, you know, your your enormous book of uh, of knowledge in terms of baseball? What what did you learn this year about the game or about the modern player or or whatever comes to mind? Um Okay, whatever comes to mind, uh, I just I, I really, really want to have the Angels, and we're working on it right now, um, be comprised more of some old-school tenants combined with the new. Um, I really want real baseball being taught again. Um, I want us to be able to uh, lock in and participate in a variety of different games, different methods. In other words, not just trying to hit the home run, uh, not just trying to throw an elevated fastball, uh, not talking about taking walks, um, always worried about somebody getting thrown out on the bases, et cetera. I, I really, and I've said this a thousand times, I think, and maybe it's a thousand and one. I really want to preach the liberal arts component of this game. Um, I, yes, I still want analytics, but I want it put in its place. I don't want it just to be the overriding factor in, in baseball. I think that's what's gotten us into this uh, situation. Although the playoff games have been interesting because I think, and I give you guys credit, they're all playing hard, man. It's, it's a real looking baseball game. If you're watching on TV, you can't tell that there's nobody in the stands. And that's a credit to everybody playing those games because it's not easy to go out there and self-motivate like that, regardless of what anybody wants to say. It's true. Um, so I'm really impressed with that. Uh, but moving the game forward, um, what's really noticeable to me also, I watched a little bit last night, is time between pitches. And that's where pace matters. And that's where I like the yeah. clock. The, only, the, one, the one thing I like or wouldn't mind is, is uh, uh, that being instituted, whereas some of the other things taken away. Um, but I, I also think uh, uh, to move this whole game forward, a more traditional method of play should and would, I think, uh, attract uh, more uh, a variety of different kinds of fans where the ball's put in play, athleticism is noticed, et cetera. Uh, I'd like to see it get back to that. So that's where, I'm, that's where we're moving with the Angels. You know, Joe, it's interesting. You're walking back a little bit of uh, metrics, even though I know you're a, a very firm and strong metrics guy. That, uh, mm-hmm. that has really strong ideas about how they're used. And we're, the, the great story in Chicago right now is the consideration of uh, Tony La Russa uh, possibly being offered uh, the Chicago White Sox job at age uh, 76 mm-hmm. to uh, manage next year. Your, your relationship and your time with Tony this year, I know you had from early February until about March 8th or 9th when baseball stopped to... Uh, Talk to Tony on a regular basis, him being a part of the Angels along with you. And uh, what, what, what are your thoughts about where Tony La Russa is as a baseball man in 2020? Well, first of all, he and I had a great relationship. And it was well beyond that. I mean, yeah, we, we were like together every day in camp and, um, and constantly, I don't mean like sometimes, constantly throwing thoughts back and forth. Uh, I don't care. You talk about hitting, bunning, opposite field pitching, first pitch strikes, um, location, defense, I mean, everything, just name it, including analytics. 
Um, and I'd love, you know, honest, Tony 76 gives me more years doing this, which I would dig. So go Tony. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, uh, his, his, his method of thinking is contemporary, but it is laced with, um, old school tenants. And I think that's the right way to do it. I do. Um, and he obviously has some experience and he knows how to win. And trust me, the fire is alive and, and, and burning, uh, hotly. Uh, we had, we had some great conversations. I don't mean good. And I learned a lot from him and I'd like to think he took some things from me. Also, we have a lot of common friends, um, that would be intermingled into the conversation. Also, uh, we've talked about how we had done things in the past and present, and he's got, He's one of those dudes that's dripping with common sense. And I love that. I mean, that's what I've often said with, uh, about Gene Mock. Uh, that's what I, one of the things I got from Gene was, God, he could reduce it so quickly and get to the essence so easily. And that's what Tony does. Uh, and believe me, man, there's no, uh, don't let the, the number fool you, uh, boys and girls. This guy's totally engaged and into it. So I'm, I'm watching. I haven't spoken to him. I really haven't. Um, I've been talking to everybody else. I'm just trying to help you know, get this thing together. But I'll get back to them and we'll get together. But I'm a big fan. Hmm. Do, you, do you suspect that he would take this job, this White Sox job, if it's offered? It's an awful good one. Honestly, I, I swear I don't know, Matty. We haven't even that, – when that came up a couple of days ago and I talked to Bruce about it, I had not even heard anything about that. And um, Antonio has not called me at all, uh, not even once. Uh, so I've, I've been – uh, inkling to give him a blast, which I will pretty soon. Uh, but I've been following it closely. And, you know, Jerry, I love Jerry too. Jerry and I become somewhat of friends um, just through the winter meeting, sitting down, having lunches with him and, and his boys down at the Triangle down there by uh, Gibson's. Uh, I really, I just enjoy all that kind of stuff. That's, like I said, a larger version of where I'm living right now, Hazleton and Sugarloaf. So uh, I, I just wish them nothing but the greatest success. Jerry's wonderful, and I, I've really grown uh, to like Tony a lot too. So age, uh, nobody knows about managing at different ages more than you do. Mm-hmm. You did it in the minor leagues as a very young man. You did it in the major leagues as a middle-aged guy. Now you're uh, trending toward your 70s and still managing at a high level. What are the challenges for a manager, including age, but regardless of age, as far as pacing himself? I, I don't think anybody paces himself better than what I've seen you do with the Cubs over those five years as far as having outside things that you did, um, not not taking baseball games home with you uh, every night, uh, turning the switch back on when you t- walked into the ballpark. What is the mechanism that Tony La Russa would need to do to manage, not necessarily at the chronologic, chronological age of 76, but uh, just the wear and tear factor of what baseball can do to you uh, at for 200 games during the baseball season? Um, three things pop. Uh, remaining contemporary, creating balance, and a, a real healthy routine. Uh, I think that's the three things with me. And uh, the contemporaryism, I, I learned that from Jimmy Reese. Jimmy was in his 80s and 90s, and he was still uh, coming to the ballpark every day with the Angels, and everybody gravitated toward him. I mean, uh, Abbott, Langston, and Finley could not get enough of Jimmy, as well as everybody else. He, Jimmy and I were like good friends, and, and he was very encouraging to me as a young coach growing up. So Jimmy has always remained contemporary. Sense of humor remained contemporary. So you have to understand what's going on right now and adapt and adjust. And then while you do that, you could absolutely incorporate tried and true that you've done in the past. But uh, 
I think that's big balance. Like you're talking about, man, I, uh, I taken games back home and only when I really think I've had an awful day, it has nothing to do with players. Cause if a player screws up in a game, nobody feels worse than that guy. And what he needs, he needs your support. He needs good words. He needs, he needs honesty. Absolutely. He needs to hear it straight up, but he, he needs your support um, as much as anything. And, and that's, that's the one thing um, I think is absolute balance, man. I have my workout routine. It said, let me get into the routine now too, but the workout and everything else diet, which is part of your routine and sleep. I mean, for me, I've really readjusted diet, exercise, uh, sleep patterns. And quite frankly, like I'm actually drinking like zero alcohol beer right now. And it really curtailed the wine. I mean, I like to wake up with a clear head. I guess my head's always clear, anyway. but it's a routine <laughs> thing. So it's contemporaryism, it's balance, and it's routine. Um, and and then okay, let's go the other way. Springsteen just brought another album out. He's seventy-one, and the Stones are still doing it. I, I'm seriously, I look at stuff like that, uh, and that that creates motivation for me. Uh, so if I uh, create, if I remain contemporary and understand what's going on in the world today, and I create maintain balance in my life, and then I I really work hard on a routine that requires me to be self-disciplined. Um, and and admit, the last part is probably that you'd still dig it. I mean, you got to want to do this. <laughs> you you mm-hmm. just can't think you want to do it. You can never just do this for the money because that'll just absolutely go away. Um, you have to really, really want to wake up and do this. And maybe that might be the most uh, overpowering component of it. But if you're able to fulfill those thoughts, hell yeah, you could do this. You know, obviously, God blessing, willing, with good health, but that's part of the routine uh, trying to do the best you can with that also. Springsteen got an emoji, Joe. I think, uh, you know, you need an emoji. Get, somebody get Joe Madden an emoji uh, <laughs> out there. Uh, what would that be? That'd be driving and driving a, and I got, I just, I got out my 56 Bel Air. It's been back here. My God, is that thing run good? So I don't know, maybe driving a, a, a car like that. Actually, and I got like a little preview on Springsteen's new album. It's pretty, pretty sweet. Oh man, name dropper, name dropper. Speaking of name dropping, uh, did you talk to to your guy uh, David Ross this year? I thought a lot of challenges oh, yeah. for David Ross. I thought he did a terrific job. Did you? How, how much did you guys have a chance to talk during the course of the year? Often, often actually, you know, before a lot of texting and then the phone calls. Um, you know, David and I are linked forever. Uh, I just uh, there's so much uh, respect going back and forth. Of course, he's going to do a great job. I mean, he as he continues to do this and uh, you know gains more feel for different situations. Uh, none of that surprises when you catch him caught as long as he has, and uh, pretty much was uh, running some clubhouses himself. Uh, it, the, the transition would then be he just you know I think as he gets a little bit older and, and then uh, gets away from guys he actually played with, it's going to become somewhat easier actually because um, I actually in a weird way did that. Not that I played with them, but when I first managed, I was 27, and I had 24 and 25-year-olders on my team. So there's, you have to create that little bit of a gap. It helps. Uh, but David, uh, David knows the game. Uh, David commands respect, great personality. And one of the bigger parts of this job is to be able to uh, relate and, and, um, and, and be thoughtful and express yourself well media-wise. And he does a wonderful job with that. So, yeah, we, we talk often, and I was really – Happy for him and the group. I mean, I know it didn't end the way they wanted to, but uh, David's going to be really good for many years. Joe Madden joining us on Inside the Clubhouse for a few more minutes on a Saturday morning. And Joe, the Tommy Listella story is fascinating. You helped continue and, and save his career 
back when he was with the Cubs and uh, walked away from the team for a while. And uh, I know your conversations with uh, Theo Epstein and um, with uh, Jed Hoyer helped bring him back in a situation where a lot of people questioned it. And then you see the success that he's had recently, and he was with you for a portion of the year before he was traded to Oakland and became an important player on that team. How does Tommy Listella go from a starting player in Atlanta to a role player with the Cubs back to a starting player? And now, uh, from my intel, teams like the Cubs looking to make him an important addition to 2021 as to what they want in a ball player going forward. Making you sought after. Um, yeah, when, when, when I first uh, got to know Tommy and, you know, we actually talked in the wintertime uh, often via phone and actually invited him back here to one of my events. He was here with him and Joe Namath were the headliners for one of the winter events. Um, I loved my conversations with Tommy. Very thoughtful, very thoughtful guy. Uh, kind of been on deep side. He thinks things all the way through and he does not say anything, anything, lightly that has not been uh, thought all the way through. And I've always appreciated that about him when he had that problem with us. I mean, the guy sincerely did not want to leave that group and he was going through some internal turmoil. And I think it was 26 at the time, maybe something like that. I just, I think a lot of times when you become a grown up, you forget what it's like to be that age. And you forgot all the different thoughts you had in your head and how confused you actually were. Um, And so we don't, we don't process all that all the time, but you know, I, I know what my age is, but believe me, man, I'm back here now. And I, uh, I remember clearly uh, how many screw-ups I had back in the day or how many times I, I didn't really know what I thought. He went through that moment, and he just re- it just required us to be understanding. And, and the biggest thing there would then be that the teammates understood also. So sometimes um, that could be an issue. So he goes away and makes it started. He needed to be that guy with us because we were kind of fulfilled everywhere else. And he, he handled that role beautifully with the Cubs that he did there. But then he gets to the Angels and it kind of like got bigger and stronger. He really dedicated himself to the weight room. Um, and he got, he's just stronger because when we had him, it was hard to keep him on the field often enough because things would break down, but they don't break down anymore. Uh, and again, here's a guy that also has established a great routine power man i mean that's not a that's not a joke i've seen it it's it's there we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds what could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds let odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.